Anno Amagium, Episode 20 Tis Better to Receive. Eleanor Valmont, Vende, Ophiuchus 26, 5.05 a.m., 23.44 a.a., Arroyo Athenaeum, Girls Dorm, U. I have until 4.30. Then it's a full two weeks with my mom, Lynn said, miserable. When Lynn woke, Penzi was packing to go home, and Lynn decided to start doing the same. Hearing her complain, however, made Penzi giggle. Lynn glared at her. Penzi lost it. Lynn jabbed her in the side with sorcery. Then Penzi lunged at Lynn, trying to half-tackle and half-tickle her. Lynn took the hit, worried Penzi would hurt herself otherwise, and the two of them went down on the hardwood. Penzi still laughing, Lynn pissed. Jeez, lighten up, Scrooge. You're the only person I know who hates Christmas break, Penzi said when she could draw breath again. You live a charmed life, Lynn snapped, and coming from me, that's saying something. I know the holidays are hell for lots of people for lots of reasons, Penzi said seriously. But the break from school is nice at least, sleeping in, doing what you want, seeing old friends, presents, come on. Everybody likes presents. Presents are nice, Lynn conceded. But do you know how many Christmas family photo ops and public appearances we will be making over the next two weeks? Penzi's smile sank. A lot? Lynn nodded and said. And all the while I will be directly under my mother's thumb. Penzi winced. Your brother will be there too, right? Yeah. Atherin's the only one who will be keeping me sane. So, are you going to be out of Arroyo? If not, maybe you could visit me one day. Meet some of my old friends I've told you about. Soul Day morning we leave for a grand tour of the rest of Eritrea and Western Europa. Mom and Dad call it a vacation, but it's really a press tour. We don't come back until the morning of Christmas Eve, which is private, at my mother's insistence, and always a concentrated dose of family. And Christmas Day, well, I'm sure you have plans. Pensy was quiet a long moment before speaking. I was actually hoping I could stop by and give you your present. I'd give it to you now, but it isn't ready yet. Pen, you don't... Yes, I do. I need to. For me, okay? Lynn was surprised. Classmates had given her presents before, but never one that would need to be prepared, and nobody had ever asked to visit her so casually before. One of Penzi's many gifts was the ability to make people feel comfortable, even when she was being insistent. It's like she's helping you into a coat, even though you don't think you're cold, and then you end up feeling warm and dumb for doubting her. I'd... I would like that. A lot. I just have to tell them you're coming ahead of time. The thought sparked another possibility in her head. Actually, Pen, what are you doing tomorrow night? Watching the Muppet version of A Christmas Carol and drinking hot cocoa with my mom and dad, probably. Would you like to attend a fancy storybook party instead? Lynn asked, trying to phrase it in terms that would appeal to Penzi. Sure enough, she stared at Lynn with huge, odd eyes. Lynn laughed. You should have been born the princess, Pen, not me. 
Oh, my God, Penzi said. I forgot. Your family, you host the Imagium's winter ball. But I thought only students who declared their discipline are allowed to attend, Penzi asked. Well, since I'm hosting the damn thing, I think I can snag you an invite. Hell, I could tell my mother you're my date. Penzi laughed, but her expression was apprehensive. Won't that freak her out? Dear God, I hope so, Lynn said wickedly. Now I really want to do it. Lynn, I, I don't have anything to wear. Well, I have maybe one dress that is nice enough, but I'm not sure it still fits. I don't want to go looking like a pretender, even if I am pretending. Lynn was slightly taller than Penzi, but their builds were similar otherwise. And as a spoiled little brat with a mother who loves to play dress-up, I am sure I have something that Penzi would enjoy wearing. I'm sure I can take care of that. Call your parents now. I'll tell my mom I have a date. Hayes Matthews, 4.26 p.m. Arroyo Athenaeum, Underground Quad Fitz dismissed Hayes and Cyphera earlier than usual that evening. At their insistence, she had assigned them some visualization exercises and reading on Ocratic theory over the break, but emphasized that they should try to enjoy themselves. As they started making their way back across campus, they started strategizing about how they could pull ahead over the break. Simply staying abreast of the Imagium's curriculum was a challenge. But we want to go further than that, and two weeks without any kind of guidance or instruction is a recipe to get sloppy. Things had been fine between them since their fight at live. After Cyphera enraged Steinbeck, they were talking like nothing happened by the next period. So why do I feel my ribs clench whenever we're alone? Things should be fine. I should be fine. But I don't want to pretend that fight didn't happen. I want to apologize. I want to know if you've forgiven me. I want to know if you meant what you said and hate the fact that I like you. I want to clear the air so I can breathe again. You staying here for the entire holiday? Hayes asked. He assumed as much, since Cyphera hadn't mentioned any other plans, and most international students, adult aspirants, and orphans stayed on campus during holidays. Cyphera smiled. Yeah, nowhere else to go. Say hey to Sarah and your mom for me. Cyphera had met his Aunt Sarah a couple times when she came to visit after work, and they immediately bonded over their mutual delight in teasing Hayes. I was actually wondering if you wanted to have Christmas dinner with us, Hayes said slowly, then quickly added. No pressure, just figured it might be more fun than sticking around an empty dorm. I'm actually visiting Glem's family on Christmas Day, and he said he would love to have you over too. Cyphera looked stunned. I... Thanks, Hayes but I think I'm going to stay here. I'd feel bad showing up empty-handed, and I don't want to intrude, you know? Hayes wanted to press her, but before their conversation, he swore that he would take her at her word. He nodded. The offer stands if you change your mind, but since I won't see you until I get back... He reached into his satchel and pulled out Cyphera's present. The wrapping, green metallic trees against a field of white snowflakes, had been beat to shit by the other stuff in his bag. And it wasn't a brilliant job to begin with, but he extended it to her. 
Saifira reluctantly accepted the gift with an anguished expression. She stared at it for a moment before scoffing and shaking her head. You ass, I just told you I didn't have anything for you. It's a gift, Sai, he said, testing out Fitz's nickname for her for the first time. Not a transaction, and it really isn't much. She stared at the package and then looked back up at him. Should I open it? Eventually, he said, shrugging. She punched him in the shoulder, shook her head, and tore off the paper. A crisp copy of Invisible Cities greeted her. This sounds stupid, but I don't know much about books. Is this a famous one? Hayes grabbed the back of his neck. Not especially. I just really enjoyed it. Figured you would, too. It's... I'm not sure how to describe it. It's not exactly a fantasy story, but it's speculative fiction. Like, Marcana Polo is the main character. The Silk Road Explorer? Saifira asked. Yeah, except she's a fictional character here, and she talks about exploring these impossible places, sort of like pocket dimensions and the Fade. So lots of people think it's about Acrasia, but I always read it differently. It's bigger than that. It's one of those stories about stories. Saifira hugged him. He froze at first, his heart quivering rather than beating. He returned the hug, gently at first, worried about her broken rib. No more spoilers, she chided. I'm gonna read it over break. Her breath was warm against his ear, and her hunter-green hair smelled like Christmas, fresh garlands, clove, cinnamon, and anise. It was natural, too a quirk of her fey heritage. He heard her offhandedly mention it in frustration, because it always overpowered other scents so she could never wear perfume, but it intoxicated haste. He was first to let go, afraid of holding her too tight, too long, or some other wrong way. He worried the feelings in his heart would bleed through his weird. When she let go, she wore a different expression than he had seen before, a conflicted smile. It's like she's in pain, but she's trying so hard to be happy. What's wrong? Hayes asked. You're my best friend, she said at last, and I don't think I've thanked you for that yet, even once. I didn't even thank you after you saved my ass at live. I was a total bitch. The tension in Hayes's chest broke instantly. No, I've actually been wanting... Well, I've been waiting for the right time to apologize... Like, I nearly got Fitz killed. I left you alone when you were injured, and I was a dick after. I just didn't know if you ever wanted to talk about it again. Saifira snickered. I didn't really. Usually I just pretend things like that never happened, move along with my life. People put up with me or they don't. But like, every time my rib hurts, I think about what I said to you, and that hurts worse. You didn't deserve that. At all. Hayes gestured no worries and started to answer, but Saifira held up a hand to stop him. I'm just not very good at this, like actual friendship. I can get along with people just fine. Unlike Valmont, I know how to behave and talk like a human being, but I'm not used to this. She held up the book, wearing another tormented smile. Well, get used to it, Hayes said and grinned. Saifira rolled her eyes and laughed. Hayes felt his cheeks go hot. 
and realized that she was also flushed. It's cold tonight, at least by Southern California standards. Don't let it go to your head. Don't try to convince yourself it means something. The usual bell signaling the end of the day's classes went off, heralding the official start of winter break. I guess that means we're free, Cyphera said. Sarah picking you up? Uh, yeah, Hayes said. Well, don't keep her waiting. Hayes reshouldered his satchel. He couldn't wait to escape. He wanted to stay there forever. He felt compelled to say something else, some cool guy goodbye. Nothing romantic, but like nothing unromantic either. Instead, he simply said, Merry Christmas, Cyphera. She smiled again, guarded but sincere. Merry Christmas, Hayes. Lynn, Saturday, Afayucas 27th, 12.24 a.m., Arroyo, Valmont Estate. Lynn and Atherin sat in their dimmed home theater, an emptied bowl of popcorn between them, and their mutual favorite Christmas movie on the big screen. It was an ironic modern classic that drove both Mirian and Athenon huffing mad. But it was a fun sibling ritual. Atherin first showed it to Lynn when she turned nine, and they had watched it the first day of break ever since. If this was the sum total of Christmas, it would be great. This is what Christmas should be. This is the Christmas that everybody else seems to have. On the big screen, Franz Gruber sneered. You know my name, but who are you? Just another Eurasian who saw too many movies as a child? Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's Yost Kennedy? Lynn smiled and said, I love that line. Like, it's a great villain taunt by itself, but it's also this backhanded compliment that builds up McLean. Because he just owns it, you know? McLean is Yost Kennedy. I mean, I would love it for a bad guy to compare me to Arishia's greatest cowboy. Athrin grinned and studied his sister for a moment. Yeah, I used to think the same thing. Now, I don't know. I still want to be a hero, but I like to think I'm a little more level-headed than a Wild West gunslinger. I hope I never have to kill anybody, you know? Let alone a whole building full of terrorists. Those odds aren't great. Yeah, of course, Lynn acknowledged, wary of a lecture. But you know what I mean, right? I want that kind of heroic presence. Pretty sure you've already got it, Atherin said, smirking. Lynn grinned. They watched Die Hard for another brief interlude, and Atherin spoke up. How are you liking the Athenaeum? Lynn blinked and took a deep breath. Where do I start? I've been so busy I haven't really had time to consider it, you know? Like, I love it. It's definitely what I want to do. And I'm good at it. I've already set a couple records. I know. Word travels quick. And if you think the schedule is intense now, wait until you've declared your discipline. I've just started proctoring third years. My life is a nightmare, he groaned. Yes. How do you find the time to date a different model, princess, or actress every Venday? Lynn asked snottily. I have a very enthusiastic matchmaker, Atherin muttered testily. Lynn gestured deepest condolences and emanated something to the effect of, There, there, big brother. 
Atherin swatted her with the pillow, and she cackled. It will be my turn to deal with Mom soon enough. I have to get my kicks in now. They watched another moment of the movie, followed by another question from Atherin. What about you? I'm guessing your date tomorrow isn't actually a date. She's my best friend, Lynn said proudly, and my roommate. Atherin made a great show of looking surprised. You've never had one of those before. At least, nobody you've told me about. I always said you were my best friend, Lynn said, like in interviews and stuff. Did Mom tell you to say that? Atherin asked. No, Lynn said, offended. Ah, Atherin said, gesturing affection, followed by compassion. But you know how sad that is? I shouldn't count. Like, if that's true, I'm honestly happy to be replaced. You deserve somebody you get to choose for yourself, you know? Lynn smiled and nodded. I have other friends, too. Vita and I got off on the wrong foot, but we're pretty close now. Also, there's Asana and Milana. You may have noticed them. The twins? Atherin smiled broadly. I think I've seen them around. Hispanic girls, right? Lynn nodded, and Atherin answered in kind. Glad to hear you've hit your stride. I knew you'd be a natural. Still, I'm sad I don't get to see you much on campus, Lynn said. I think we talked more often when I was at home. Like I said, my schedule is a nightmare, Atherin said, and gestured a finger gun to his head. Your time will come, believe me. They watched the rest of the movie without interruption. Franz Gruber stained the bottom of the Nakatomi Plaza. McLean tipped his hat at Powell. Miss McLean punched the scumbag reporter in his stupid face, and Argyle drove everybody off into the Christmas sunrise. All was right with the world. Want to watch something else? Lynn asked eagerly. I don't have that kind of energy, kid, Atherin said, chuckling. But I'm down to chat a little bit more before bed. What else is new in your life? Any guy friends? He bounced his eyebrows. Cyphera's words echoed in her ears. I forgot you're still allergic to boy cooties. Lynn grimaced internally and shrugged noncommittally. There are some decent-looking guys in my cohort, she said, trying to sound casual. But nobody special, if that's what you mean. What about you? Any of your dates memorable? Keep talking about my thoroughly artificial love life and I'm going to sleep. Lynn laughed and wondered what else to ask. There has to be something else I can bug him with. But then she remembered something she had almost completely let slip from her mind. The essay Carol let me read. I read your essay, she said. On Dad's policies in the Middle East? Oh, yeah. Master Carol asked for my permission first. Was surprised you wanted to read it. What did you think? Lynn opened her mouth and shrugged again. It was a complex report analyzing the lack of Amagiat intervention in the storm of wars caused by the Islamic triumvirate of Syria, Iraq, and the Levant. Itzel was a radical, theocratic Sunni state, steadily expanding throughout the Middle East. During their father's tenure as Archon, he repeatedly voted against getting involved with the region, even though their unregulated magical warfare was becoming increasingly common, complex, and violent. It's still a little bit beyond me, to be honest, 
The whole situation with Itzel is complicated, to say the least. I think that we, as a culture, don't know enough about it to offer a solution that won't be more destructive than the current problem. So I think Dad made the right call to vote against intervention. But like, I think I get your point. It is hypocritical. Sometimes I think that's unavoidable, though. Athanon was famously hard on crime and conservative as Amagiate leaders went. He had drawn criticism for vetoing many proposed exemptions in medicine and artifice due to their potential for malefaction. In his essay, Atherin had pointed out that the bizarre flip side of the ongoing unregulated wars was a localized renaissance in healing magic. Medithurges in the region were performing operations thought to be impossible. There was even a market for black market medical tourism. Wealthy Eretians were actually flying into war zones to receive breakthrough treatments and nerve damage. Look, I'm not one of those bleeding hearts who claims Dad's a fascist, but he is okay with some pretty draconian policies at home in the name of preventing magical crime. Yet our bloody shirt, the thing we use to justify our existence as an institution, is preventing magical war. Cataclysm specifically. And he refused to lift a finger to prevent the greatest magical conflict since the Great Wars. We can do better. We should do better. I'm not sure it's our problem to solve, Lynn said, a touch timid. I'm not saying we march in there and play world police, but we should be trying to help them solve their issues. We should be sending delegates, at least studying the issues instead of hoping they go away, while Itzel gets closer and closer to blowing another hole in the planet. I know, Lynn admitted. Anyway, difficult stuff, scary stuff. Not the right way to end a good night. I suppose I have one more movie in me. Really? What do you want to watch? Lynn asked. There was a wicked gleam in Atherin's eyes. Have I shown you the heartwarming holiday classic Reindeer Games yet? Lynn's brow furrowed. Is that like a Rudolph movie? Not exactly, Atherin chuckled. Lynn Sat day, Ophiuchus 27th, 1.20 p.m., Arroyo, Valmont Estate. Reindeer Games was tawdry, violent, and almost but not entirely bereft of goodwill towards men. It also cemented Lynn's opinion that more Christmas movies should feature machine guns and pyromancy. Atherin fell asleep halfway through, but Lynn devoured the whole thing staying up as late as she had ever been. When she woke at 9.30 the following morning, her father teased her for her late rising, and her mother said that skipping sleep was bad for her skin. After eating, she spent most of her morning pacing her room, anxiously awaiting Pensy's arrival. She cleaned her room, unnecessarily, since it had not been occupied since Libra, and the family staff had regularly dusted and vacuumed since. God, I look like I live in a dollhouse. Pensy had put up posters in their dorm room as well as pictures of her family and pets and a few prints of cartoon and anime characters. Lynn's mother, Miriam, had conditioned her to find such things distasteful, but now she worried that her room felt impossibly dry and stuffy in comparison. Her room's furniture was all matched mahogany, 
hardwood floors covered by Persian rugs. She had a four-poster queen-sized bed, and the far wall held a window with stained glass margins, looking out over the northern reach of the Grand Arroyo. What if she hates it? No, there's no chance of that. She loves this princess crap. But it might make her treat me differently. Penzi always expressed awe when Lynn's family was brought up, but she usually forgot about it entirely. This might make it harder for her to forget. Lynn bit her lower lip. She doesn't treat me like a dignitary, and I don't want that to change ever. Yo! A voice came from the door. Found this enchanting aspirant wandering around outside. Says she's your date for tonight? Lynn turned to find Athrin escorting Penzi into her room, a wry smile on his face. Penzi's cheeks glowed, and her posture was starched straight. She wore a sort of deer-in-the-headlight smile. Finally, she gave Lynn a little wordless wave at waist height, a silly greeting that had worked its way into the private language of their friendship. Lynn raced across her room to hug her. Penzi yelped and laughed as she returned her embrace. We saw each other yesterday, Penzi protested. Yeah? You know how bored I've been since? Lynn asked. Ouch, Atherin said, wounded. I show you my finest holiday films and this is the thanks I get? Guess I'll leave you two to your girl stuff. No, wait, Atherin. I didn't mean it like that. Besides, you haven't met Penzi. I literally met her at the front gate, he said, winking and sticking his tongue out. Ugh, you don't know her, though. She deserves more than a walk upstairs. I can tell. But Mom wants me to help set up for tonight. Now there are two reasons for you to stay up here. Atherin grabbed his chin and seriously considered it. Penzi looked back and forth throughout their exchange and waved her arms fecklessly, emanating apologies for reasons Lynn couldn't fathom. I guess I wouldn't mind having an excuse to disappear for a few minutes, Atherin said. If you don't object, Penzi. Nope, she practically yelped. Atherin chuckled, charmed. Relax, Mom's really the one who bites, aside from Lynn. Hey, Lynn snapped, and Penzi laughed. So, I assume Lynn's told you all about our holiday dog and pony show? What are your family's plans? Atherin asked leaning against Lynn's dresser. Uh, we're pretty traditional, I guess? Penzi was practically stammering. Lynn had never seen her so nervous or so red in the cheeks. Oh, oh! Atherin was very handsome. He had their father's masculine jawline, high cheekbones, and generally strong and muscular build, but the severity of his appearance was tempered by their mother's slender features. He was also seven years their senior, but looked younger, especially with his hair shorter than usual. Lynn understood all that objectively, but had not considered how it might affect her romance-obsessed, boy-crazy best friend. Christmas Day we have friends and local family over, open presents in the morning, Penzi said, racing past any details. On Christmas Eve we do a family dinner and usually go to church for a midnight service. Is your family very religious? Atherin asked. I guess, by today's standards, Penzi replied bashfully. She's Presbyterian, Lynn said, 
a little more Jesus-y than you, me, and Mom, but a lot less than Dad. Penn considered Lynn with an amused expression. I didn't realize you had assigned me a Jesus rating. We're Pax Agratian Episcopalians, descended from paladins, lest our father ever forget to remind us, Atherin said dryly. We give everybody a Jesus rating. What's Lynn's Jesus rating? Penzi asked. Atherin stroked his chin in consideration. When she was little, I'd give her about seven out of ten Jesus points. Good little Sunday school girl. Now, less than half that. Learning about egregores kind of screws with your faith. The metaphysical evidence proves gods are real, but as for who created who or one pantheon being truer than others, Atherin shrugged. I'd give Atherin one Jesus point, Lynn said. Just enough to stay out of hell. I wouldn't place any serious wagers on that, Atherin chuckled. It takes some weird mental gymnastics to keep the faith as an imagia. My father is convinced the Abrahamic God created us all, and the imagium has his approval, while other gods and pantheons are just garden-variety egregores, which is just strange to me. Like, from what little scripture I've read, I think it's pretty clear Jesus would be an anti-cordance activist today. Christianity is what led to the collapse of the first imagium. Wow, that is a lot of oversimplifications in a very few sentences, Lynn said wryly, especially for our Athenaeum's projected valedictorian for the cohort of 37. Okay, yes, in our meticulously groomed Bibles, Jesus very conveniently teaches that it is wrong to repress weirds in a way that interfere with religious worship. In reality, I imagine what he said was more direct, Something along the lines of, to hell with anybody and anything that imposes restrictions on a person's weird. Really, Chaucer's the one who reconciled Christianity and the Imagium with magic licenses, yet she's widely regarded as a tyrant, while we sing carols for Jesus every year, even though I bet he'd despise us. And you thought I was a Scrooge, Lynn said to Pensy, then started teasing her brother. Way to get all political, Atherin. You're making Pensy uncomfortable. Pensy's eyes got huge again, and she tried to object. Atherin straightened up, reached for her hand, and knelt to gently kiss it in one fluid sequence of movements. She made a squeaking noise that reminded Lynn of the human equivalent of an encanter error. Forgive me, Atherin said, emanating sincerity. Pensy made another squeaking noise. Lynn was worried her brain broke. Thank you for putting up with my sister. Yeah, feel free to leave now, Lynn said. And here we were having such a lovely time, Atherin said wistfully, then strolled out of Lynn's room, humming Jingle Bell Rock. So, yeah, that's my brother. Charming, when he isn't being a broody dickhead, Lynn said. Charming? He's straight out of a storybook. Gorgeous. I mean... I've seen him around campus and in magazines, but up close? She seemed at a loss for words. Well, I give you my blessing and wish you luck, Lynn said, laughing. Yeah, right, Penn said, rolling her eyes. She turned her attention back to Lynn's room. Your room is huge. I mean, poster bed, private bathroom, and this view of the arroyo. 
Lynn lowered her eyes to the opulent rugs, not knowing what to say. I'm pretty spoiled. I am pretty spoiled, Pensy corrected, crossing her arms. But I try not to beat myself up over it, and you shouldn't either. From the sound of things, all this, she gestured at Lynn's room, comes with some serious baggage. You put up with a lot, so own what you have. Lynn smiled. All right. Want to try on some dresses? 5.20 p.m. Arroyo, Valmont Estate Lynn enjoyed playing dress-up as a child, but she had never shared her clothes with a friend before or talked about style in any meaningful way. She and Pensy spent two hours in her room trying on various articles from her extensive wardrobe. Lynn had hit a growth spurt shortly before enrolling in the Athenaeum and grew out of a number of blouses and dresses. Fortunately, a few of them still fit Pensy, including a scarab green velvet dress. It was a V-neck, T-length dress with three-quarter sleeves. And it looks tailor-made for her. After a great deal of haggling, Lynn convinced Pensy to accept it as a Christmas present, explaining, truthfully, that it looked better on her anyway. The next two hours were occupied with hair and makeup, domains Lynn usually despised, though Pensy's eagerness to learn made the process fun. They put Pensy's hair into a half-ponytail with ringlets framing her face. For her own part, Lynn wore a French twist with two long side-bangs and a black silk chi-pao with a golden ginkgo leaf pattern. It was a little too big for her last New Year's, but now it fit like a glove. This will have to do. Lynn wished she was just three years older so she could don an aspirant's dress uniform instead, which was awarded once aspirants declared their discipline. Male students were expected to wear their dress attire, while women had the choice of formal asphalus attire or their dress uniforms. There was no doubt in Lynn's mind which she would choose. When they came downstairs together, Miriam cooed, clucked, and gushed about how pretty they looked. But when Penzi wandered out of earshot, her mother whispered in Japanese, she looks lovely. You did a wonderful job with her makeup. But that dress is old, Lin, she said, gesturing at her chi-pao. You wore it to New Year's Eve last year. Lin wanted to shrug off the comment. She told herself she didn't give a fuck. But it still hurt. She dared to feel pretty on her own terms, and apparently she had done it wrong, according to her mother at least. Last year I nearly tripped over the damn hem every time I took a step, but now that I can walk comfortably and have an inch of ground clearance, it's old. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Mom, Lynn said hoarsely. Her mother kissed her on her forehead and shooed her away. Pensy was waiting with a rare expression on her face, curious, concerned, but also wary and protective. What did she say to you? Pensy asked. Doesn't matter, Lynn said, forcing a smile. She picked on you again, didn't she? Lynn nodded, holding her smile. Pensy shot Miriam a naked glare, but her mother was distracted by a symphone call and mercifully didn't seem to notice. Lynn tugged Pensy's wrist, pulling her away. Don't give her the satisfaction, Lynn said. Pensy acquiesced, but her cheeks were puffed with anger again. Guests started trickling in at 5.50, 
and the Valmont estate was ready to accommodate them. Appetizers were always Lynn's favorite part of the ball, and this year they outdid themselves, smoked trout and gouda on toasted bread, fried artichoke hearts with creole seasonings, bite-sized pastries housing beef tartare and quail egg. The buffet that followed boasted a carving station serving prime rib, turkey, ham, salmon, and a curious pepper-crusted soy-derived product produced via a new alchemical process that was only recently exempted. Aspirants of age, and those mistaken as such, enjoyed the open bar, which was the single greatest source of blackmail material in the Southern Californian region of the Imagium. Mirian was a notorious enabler, refilling half-drained glasses and inviting younger aspirants to help her finish her own drinks. And it always amused Lynn. She liked that side of her mother, the festive, mischievous hostess. But it was a side that seemed to exist solely for strangers. As dessert was being served, Athenon gave a brief speech that was refreshingly apolitical, festive, and congratulatory to the term's new graduates. After that, he turned over the microphone to an MC who started playing dance music. As much as Lynn found it embarrassing, she enjoyed dancing. It was another decent Christmas tradition, a taste of what the season should be like. She and Pensy danced together at first, then Atherin cut in, nearly giving Pensy a stroke, while Atherin's best friend Vith danced with Lynn. They danced with at least a dozen partners apiece, though most were older aspirants who had become family friends over the years. But around nine o'clock, Penzi made the mistake of pointing out a blonde third year, a freshly minted, aspiring animathurge. By ten o'clock, Lynn worked up the courage to approach him and direct his attention to Penzi. As he approached her, bashful and slightly confused, Penzi stared slack-jawed at Lynn, eyes wide and desperate. She frantically gestured, Traitor! As Lynn gave her a twinkly-fingered wave, and retreated up the stairs leading to the floor above the ballroom. I need a break. This is fun, but I don't know how Pensy isn't exhausted. The second floor was the perfect place for a brief repose. She could listen to the music, watch Pensy dance with her third year, and enjoy the party while standing apart from it. Atherin seemed to have vanished, possibly drunk. On the terrace outside... Athenon was enjoying an annual cigar with several of the new graduates, laughing and providing sage advice. Then Mirian glided over, wearing a glazed smile and holding a wine glass. She squeezed Lynn's shoulder affectionately before taking up a spot next to her on the railing. It's so nice to see you getting along with Penzi, Mirian said thickly. She seemed borderline delirious. She's definitely more than a little drunk. Mom can hold her liquor frighteningly well, but volume always overcomes her tolerance at these parties. Something about her comment bothered Lynn, though, aside from the mild slurring. Something in the phrasing or tone of the statement tugged at her. What do you mean? Lynn asked. What I said? It's just nice to see you enjoying each other's company, Miriam said matter-of-factly and took a sip of wine. After a brief pause, she added, I knew she would be perfect. Cold cord Lynn's stomach. 
Miriam continued in Japanese, and the cold deepened, gripping her by the spine. Lynn's mother had insisted that she, Athrin, and even Athanon learn Japanese. So far as Lynn could tell, it wasn't out of any kind of cultural affection for her heritage. She simply wanted a convenient, relatively safe way to back-channel with her family in public. As a security measure, your father and I were permitted to review your cohort's assessment scores and profiles. I read all the girls' essays, saw their interview answers, and I just knew she was the one right away. She turned her gaze to Penzi below, twirling on the dance floor. Isn't she pretty? So smart, so nice, just a little vulnerable. And you two look lovely together, like the sun and moon. You set us up? Lynn asked. There was a fleeting flash of horror, where Lynn was worried that her mother had somehow influenced Penzi. She has a saint's patience with me. She persistently tried to befriend me, even when I shut her out. If she had been bribed or pressured somehow? No, I trust her more than that and I trust myself enough now to know the difference. Lynn's fists clenched involuntarily. Are you seriously considering taking her as a lover? Miriam asked blithely, still speaking Japanese. Mom! A ghost of a smile flickered across Miriam's lips. You were the one who said she was your date, she said innocently, and took another sip of wine before continuing and nodding at her below. But, judging from her essay questions, I got the sense that she prefers men. For her life goals, she said she wants to be a lexamancer and start a family. You never know, though. Put in a lot of effort early on, and you may persuade her. And how would that fit into your grand plan? Lynn answered, also in Japanese. I thought you wanted me to take a husband and start pumping out children as soon as my body permits it. All the more reason to fool around with girls instead of boys when you are young, Miriam said, smirking. She continued, drunk yet deadly serious. I don't want to deny you happiness, Eleanor, but you must learn to pursue it responsibly. You must learn cunning and discretion. You must be discerning, even when it comes to mistresses. The full scope of her mother's meddling short-circuited Lynn's brain. Her mouth fell open, and she could only scoff. You honestly think I'm gay. You are giving me permission, no, encouraging me, to seduce my best friend as a mistress without even consulting her, without even meeting her. Pensy Hayes has been a better sister in three months than you have been a mother for twelve years, Lin said in Japanese, emanating menace. She is my precious friend, not my mistress, not my property, and definitely not your chess piece. Lin finished in English, speaking in blunt. Stay away from her, you awful bitch. As Lin stormed away, her mother giggled and called after her. Merry Christmas, Eleanor. Anno Amagium. Written by Hank Whitson. Narrated by Dan Lawson.